Hey, thanks, uh, you guys, for leading us in worship. Um, Rob and uh, the team uh, pray and practice uh, during the week in order to lead us in worship and, uh, and uh, as, they, as they follow the Lord themselves. Um, Dave Carlson is preaching at Valley Church this morning. Oh, yeah, uh, kids, thank you so much for joining us today. We love having you be a part of our services. You add so much. I love hearing your voices in the singing. But you are, oh, and you are uh, free to go to your class. We love them. All right. So Dave is preaching today down at uh, Valley. Uh, some of you may still kind of wonder about uh, the revolving pastors that are here. We have what we call, call just a team approach to preaching. Uh, we, you know, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and uh, we're just servants. So uh, we just feel like we want to keep the focus there. So I'll preach this week, and then Dave will be here. And, and uh, Dave is here most of the time. But uh, we knew we really wanted to see him again back at Valley. He's, uh, he's the visiting pastor down there. So nobody, uh, not nobody, but, but it'll be good to be back together again with them. So... We've been in this series in the book of Colossians, and I listened to Dave's message last week online, and uh, I was so encouraged by that focus in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 on keeping your eyes on heaven. And if you'll remember, he had these key phrases to remind us about what's true. And so as I was thinking about my title this morning, I thought, um, which really verses 5 through 11 follow on just perfectly after that, is eyes on heaven but feet in the dirt. Because even though uh, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where God is seated, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on the things above. It's that picture of keeping your focus, keeping your direction up. And that's great. And that's wonderful when I'm here in church. But man, Monday mornings are coming, right? You gotta go back to work. Uh, I got to go and deal with my own self and with uh, traffic on Highway 85 and all kinds of stuff like that. And so this message really kind of follows on. Yes, our eyes are in heaven, but sometimes our feet can get kind of muddy. In fact, my first uh, when I ran through this, it was uh, uh, head in the heavens but feet in the mud, right? And you can have your eyes in the clouds. And you, have you ever met somebody who's like that? You know, everything is just, oh, praise God, bless the Lord, oh, that's wonderful, excellent. And they just feel like they're not connected to earth. I just want to yank those people <laughs> and bring them down sometime. Maybe their focus is in the right place. So it's a, it's a matter of both ends. Now, you remember the Gnostics that Paul was writing about in this? They just wanted to separate things. Anything connected to earth, bad. Anything connected to heaven or spirituality, good. Guess what? We've got to live in that world in between. One of my favorite authors, uh, John Stott, has a book called Between Two Worlds. And that's really kind of where we are. We're not what we used to be, but we're not what we're going to be someday in the future when we go to be with God in heaven. And so this passage really uh, brings that home. And I'm going to read it for you today just because it flows so nicely, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, and going all the way down through 11. Now next week, 12 through 15 is, is incredible as well. But, but let me just read this for you. If you want to follow along with me, you can. If then, or as Dave pointed out, since then, you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And let 
Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self and its evil practices, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free men, but Christ is all and in all. And, oh, you've got to stop there. We've got to stop there today, but it goes on. So, Christ in all and uh, is all in all. And that's been our focus. Christ the center of it all, right? Christ not outside on the fringes, but right in the center of our lives and our relationship with God. I'm going to start off this morning. I want to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy named Hans. Hans Dawa Papius. Uh, 1938, uh, had a nice little family. He and Altja. Hans and Altja. They lived in Hilversum, which was in Holland. And uh, he was a successful businessman. And he was actually a fish, owned a fish market, sold fish. And uh, it was a very nice life. But uh, something happened along the way that made life not so nice. And that was the Nazi invasion and occupation of, of Holland. For the next... Seven years, life was very, very difficult. In 1940, the Nazis invaded and overran the country. Many nights, there would be gunfire in the neighborhood. Hans would have to go out in the middle of the night and try to find food for his family because it wasn't very long that starvation became a problem and there was no food. One night, he went out and was gone for a week and came back with one gallon of cooking oil. Hans and Alcha tried secretly to raise a pig in their basement because it was the only source of meat. One day they were down to two potatoes. And it was a daily, daily battle for food. One day one of the little children uh, in their family, little Hansje, came and pounded on the door to warn his daddy that the Germans were coming to um, take slave labor away into the factories. And so uh, they opened up the floorboards and, and Hans would go and hide in the floorboards of the um, house they lived in uh, because otherwise he'd be taken away. And uh, many, many nights uh, he had to hide there. They had a secret compartment uh, in a fishing boat that they owned that they had to climb up inside rather than be um, taken away for the... Um, for the slave labor. Finally, in May 1945, the Canadian tanks rolled through the town of Hilversum and the city was liberated. 
We think of May 5th, 1810 as a significant day. Indeed, Cinco de Mayo is a great day. But Cinco de Mayo is great in 1945 as well, because that's the day that Holland celebrates liberation. And as a seven-year-old, Hans and Hansche went down and saw the Canadian tanks going through, freeing them from that occupation. No more hunger. No more waking up in shots in the night. No more hiding under the floor. No more confiscation raids for food, bicycles, radios, and dads. No more listening to the news on earphones in a secret radio. No more curfews. No more trains going through with hands sticking out of Jewish detainees begging for bread. No more of that. That's a true story. And uh, Hansha and his family had the opportunity to leave Holland. They had the opportunity to go someplace else and uh, to leave behind a crumbling Europe. And guess where they went? Guess where they thought, hey, if I could go anywhere, where would I want to go? They went to Canada. They went to the homeland of their liberators. Besides, Mexico was too hot. (laughs) And Hans and Alcha changed their names to John and Alice. And Hansha became Jack. And they didn't speak Dutch, they learned English. And they didn't eat olibolin and roll-em-ups, pickled herring. They ate meat and potatoes, like good Canadians did. They left that life behind. Now, why do I tell this story? One, is because Hansha is my wife's dad. And two, it's a beautiful and powerful story of new life. As we think about this idea of, of where Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, consider yourselves. He's talking about identity. Look at it, chapter 3, I'm sorry, verse 5. He says, therefore consider the members of your body. Now that word consider means to render, to think about, to make it so. And he's talking about being in this between two worlds. Right? We have our eyes and our minds set on heaven, and yet we live in the day-to-day world where there's hurt and there's pain and there's failure. Now, how do we reconcile those two things? He says it's all about how we place our minds. So I want you to follow along with me, first of all, about the old self, the old life. If you will, the old country. This old way of living, this old identity. What do we see about it? Look in verse 5. He says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. So first of all, the old self is dead. How do I know that? Well, because it says, verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now you say, wait a minute, let me check my pulse. Last I heard, I wasn't dead yet. Right? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about your identity, your way of doing it, your way of living. I can look through this room and I know there are story after story of you living your life with you in control. And it didn't work out too well. Finally, you said, Lord, I'm not in control anymore. I'm giving my, the control of my life over to Jesus. You guys heard about Jesse last week. You saw the stories of his baptism. That beautiful picture of I've died to myself. We've done it right up here. Right, B? Where, this is not my life anymore. That life is gone. And I'm raised up to walk with Jesus. 
That's what he's talking about. Now he says, consider yourself. It's almost like he's saying, remember, you're dead. <laughs> Monty Python, I mean, some of you don't remember this, but there's a line, I'm not quite dead. You know, that's my problem. I, I kind of tend to not be dead anymore. I mean, like, oh, I'm going to start being my old self again. I'm in control again. He says, hey, remember what's true. What's true is you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. The NIV, I love the way the NIV puts it. It says, put it to death. Make it really happen. If your eyes are up on heaven, you have focused up there, then say, all right, that's my true identity. That's who I really am. So the old self is dead. Look at the second thing it says in, in the second half of, of verse 5. Not only is it dead, but it's depraved. Look at this list. Consider it dead to what? To immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Now, there's no way I can cover this without it being at least PG. So I'm going to tell you right now, this is a, a, a PG discussion. And I realize we have kids in the area, and so I'm going to be very, uh, very uh, sensitive to that. But, but these all have to do with sexual sin. These all have to do with sins of the body. Immorality, the word is pornea. It has to do with habitual immorality of a physical sense. He mentions impurity, unclean thoughts, words, and acts. These are the kinds of things that dominate the dead lifestyle and mindset. Passion and lust, violent and uncontrolled sexual desire. That's, that's what he has in mind here. Evil desires, it's similar but more powerful and broader. And then he ends this, he caps this list with greed. The desire to have more and more and more. And that's the nature of all these things, isn't it? I just have to have more. Now you might say, well, why does he make this list? Okay, Because anytime you have a list, human nature tendency is to begin checking things off. Yes, no, yes, no, no, no. Good, bad, you know, plus, minus, plus, minus, right? And the plus of that is that we can all say guilty as charged. We can all say, well, maybe not as much as the next guy, right? That's the bad side of it. But we say, yeah, we can identify with this. This is the human condition. Maybe not uncontrolled, but I mean, that's part of, uh, that's part of the human experience. And he says, it's dead. A life that's dominated, that's identified by that, is dead. Now, the danger of a list like that is that we want to start making a set of lists of rules, Okay. I'm better than somebody else. Check. <laughs> and we feel pretty good about ourselves, right? Now remember, back up earlier in chapter 2, Paul said, trying to live the Christian life by a bunch of rules and regulations, by a bunch of comparing ourselves to other people, ain't going to do it. It's not the right way of making it happen. You can't do this kind of thing from the outside in. So it's not about making a bunch of rules and regulations, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Laws and codes cannot produce virtue. All they can do is, is uh, punish behavior. I was talking to a, a brand new believer this week. And uh, he said, Kurt, man, what do I do? I've just got all these, this stuff inside of me. It makes me want to do things. And uh, I've got temptation all around me. He said, what do I do? I said, well, uh, you can walk around with your eyes closed all day long. <laughs> you know? But it's all... But that's not going to keep the problem going, right? Because it's up in here. I said, what do you feed your mind on? What are you focusing on? What's the input that's going in? That's what's going to come out. 
A wise man once said, what's in the bucket will almost always be what's down in the well. Right? What's down in there? What are you drawing on? What are you feeding in there? And he says, that is not where you're supposed to be focusing. So it's depraved. We can, we can identify. I had a, an amazing opportunity in, in 2000 to go to Afghanistan under the Taliban rule. And, um, and one of the things about the Taliban is there were no pictures being able to take women in full burqas from head to toe. Uh, there was no, there was, there was no graphic representation of anything anywhere. Do you think lust was still a problem? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's the way the human mindset without Christ in the center of it will go. So that's not the, the, uh, the answer. But, but, but Paul's not done yet kind of driving the point home. Look at verse 6. For, because of these things, what? These sins that we can all identify with. Now, now this, now don't get the idea Paul's trying to make a comprehensive list of every sin. That's not the point there. He just picks a few doozies, right? He says, okay, let's just, let's just take these. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Now that is not a very popular message these days, right? We like to have a kind of a chummy God who sort of says, hey man, do whatever you want to do, you know? Just do your best. <laughs> whatever it is, just, you know, be sincere, right? That's the kind of God this world wants. A survey was done that said that among Christians, is God forgiving? Hey, 97% approval rate. Yes. Is God loving? 96% approval rate. Yes. I wonder about that 4%. But Anyway, does God judge? Oh, 37% approval rate. No, no, God doesn't judge. Does God punish wrong? Oh, no, 19% agree that that happens. Now, if we want a God that just kind of smiles and, you know, waves sin under the carpet or that kind of thing, that, then that, that's the kind of God that, that we like. But that is not the God of the Bible. He says, hey, sin is wrong. Sin is to be punished. Um, I, up in Cupertino, there are these billboards, and it's about some medical group. And it says, this picture of a doctor, and he's going to stand there like this. And it says, brutal on cancer. Right? Have you seen those? Or it's something like that, you know. Without mercy on sickness and that kind of thing. Now, what do we say? You know, thinks cancer is, you know, okay. Right? Well, a God who thinks, can uh, a God who thinks sin is so-so is like a doctor who says, well, you know, cancer is, you know, a life form too. Right? Shouldn't we, be, well, shouldn't we be accepting of all life forms? Right? I mean, you just kind of go, wait a minute. The justice of God is one of the foundational issues of who He is. He's holy. We say, oh, you know, but you're being radical. You know, God, you know, what about... You say, well, no, forgiveness comes. Forgiveness is awesome because we realize that it came at a price. When we think about these first four verses of chapter 3, we say Jesus Christ paid the price for us. Chapter 2, taking that certificate of debt and nailing it to the cross, it costs something. Because of God's holiness. And so we see that God does, He punishes sin. God is not angry. He's not red-faced. You know, He's not steam coming out of His ears, throwing lightning bolts. That's not God. It's a settled conviction of right versus wrong. He defines it and makes it happen. That's the way He is. That's the, what the Bible says. Romans chapter 1 makes this really clear. 
what, what, is the, what is the judgment that comes upon people? It comes because they turn away from what's clearly known about God. They say, no, I, I don't want God. I don't want that. And they turn away. Well, Paul wants to bring it home, and so he just reminds them, just kind of a little humility verse right here, verse 7, and says, And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Don't forget, that's where you were when you lived there. Don't, don't be getting proud now. Don't start looking down your nose at anybody. Because you've all been in a place where you've all stepped over the line. You've all sinned. As I talk to people about who God is and what He's like, um, I've never met anybody yet who says, I- I've lived a perfect life. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, Don, you do a lot of evangelism, sharing the gospel. That's one of those things you just say, now, uh, tell me, do you live a perfect life? And most of them will say, well, it's good enough, right? But it's not perfect. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm better than some, uh, but not better than everybody. And so what Paul wants to remind them is, that's where we've all been. He had to tell the Corinthian church the same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 for 11, again, listen to, the, to, the, to the, uh, the standard that God has. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, again, not a comprehensive list, but, but pretty good. Such were some of you, verse 11 says. Now, if that's where the Bible ended, that'd be pretty darn discouraging, wouldn't it? But then it goes on, but you were washed. You were sanctified. means you were made holy. And you were justified in the name of God. That's that going from death to life. That's from living in the old country to living in this new country we're going to talk about. That's from being dead in trespasses and sin and being made new in the likeness of God. That's the difference there, right? And that's that identity. That's the truest core part of who you are. That's been different. Alright, so it's, it's, it's depraved and it's condemned. But the good news, gang, is that God is patient, Right? God has been patient for you. Man, He's been patient with me. What a journey. You know? Man, if God was just just and justice was instant, we'd all be gone. Right? But it's not instant. God is patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right? He's been waiting. He's been giving us that opportunity. Alright. But let's look at the third thing then that we see about this old self, is that it's divisive. It's divisive. Verse 8, But now you also put them all aside. Now, earlier we saw these sexual sins, these sins of, of passion. Now we see sins of anger. Look at them. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self and its evil practices. The picture there is of stripping off this old stinky clothing, right? Now, uh, my uh, pocket uh, Val's grandfather was a was I said he's a fish market guy. He used to smell like fish all the time. I mean, imagine he worked there. 
I mean, cutting fish, cleaning fish. He had the smell of death on him all the time. Guess what? When he moved to the plains of Edmonton, Alberta, he wasn't working with fish anymore. He didn't have that smell. He didn't have that. It's that same picture. He says, take that off, strip it away from you, and get rid of it. Because that's not what you're supposed to be about. Take that filthy clothes off. Take it, intentionally rid yourself of this kind of rottenness. Of these first three terms, anger, rage, and malice, are sins of disposition. I mean, it's just a general grumpiness, right? It's what it says, anger. It's kind of a, a mindset that permeates you. I know this one preacher that says, I have two states, angry and asleep. <laughs> and I say, man, you better read this first. Angry disposition. Second one is sudden outbursts, right? Where there's just a lashing out. In anger. It could be physically, it could be verbally. And then malice is a disposition that looks for ways to do others wrong. Now again, if, you're, you, if your main identity is you're dead and depraved, then it's going to be all about me, right? Greed, what more can I get? How can I fit, you know, make myself look better, feel better, sound better, whatever, advance? So it's all going to be about me. It's focused on myself. And so he says, those should not be a part of that. You've got to strip those off. Slander. The Greek word is blasphemia. It's insulting talk. Lies about other people. Now see, some of you, when we read through that first list, you kind of went, well, I, I'm doing okay there. You know? So Paul just wants to make sure we all get hit. Okay? So he says, alright, now some of you, you've got a problem with your tongue. Some of you have problems with your eyes and your mind. How about with your tongue? Abusive speech. Words intending to hurt others. Lies to one another. He specifically mentions. He goes, you've got to strip that stuff off. You've got this old stinking shirt on you that's from the old country and you're still wearing it like it's you know your Sunday best. He says, take it on off. Again, this is not a complete list. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Other places talk about these. I don't need to tell you all about sin. You know about that. Just look you know, to the end of your nose and you'll find it, right? But Paul's plan, and, and, and again, Paul focuses so much more on the positives. Let's get through this and, uh, and see what he's talking about. This new self. What is the new self that he's talking about? We see this in verse 9. The old self, the old country, the old way of thinking, the old identity has been traded in. And he says, lay these aside. Strip this all off. Why? Second half of verse 9. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on this new self. You've got something new that's happened to yourself. It's a new identity. His focus is not on what we should do, right? It's not a bunch of rules, not a bunch of regulations. What it is, is who you are. What's your new identity in Christ? What does your new passport read as far as where you're from? When John uh, and Alice moved to, to Canada, uh, they didn't speak English. Uh, Jack was a 12-year-old, had to go to first grade to learn English. And, uh, uh, or kindergarten and uh, felt pretty silly. But they were determined to live like residents of the new country. They didn't speak Dutch. Well, they had to because that's all they knew. But they were determined 
to live like citizens of this new country. Now they all say, A. Right? <laughs> Paca is still, and Beppa, uh, Alcha, is still alive, 93 years old, and uh, has this incredible Dutch accent. And uh, I'm not Dutch, and I learned that if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. Uh, but their identity is, is new. And they've raised all their kids as Canadians. That, that's the idea here. I've got a new identity. I don't say, well, I'm old, decaying, and, and divisive. We say uh, we're new. We keep our focus on that. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now listen, I've been around Christians for a while now, and I have found that most of us don't get this. A lot of us are thinking, okay, I've got to go through my Christian walk and Christian life trying to be good enough to make God love me. Hold on. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Right? You're already in. Now we've got to live like it. We don't live like it so we can get in. You see the difference there? Oh, I'm going to keep all these rules and regulations and someday I hope my balance you know, on the positive outweighs the balance on the negative and I get in. Christians, oh, oh man, I wonder if Jesus still loves me because I really blew it this last week. Man, God loves you. It's an unconditional, everlasting love. You're one of His kids. Parent doesn't turn his back on their parent when they really on their kids when they love them, no matter how bad they are. That's the kind of love that He's talking about here. Now, is is Paul saying, hey, go out and live like you want, do whatever you want to do? You know, hey, if Jesus gets glory by forgiving you of sin, just sin a lot so He'll get more glory, right? Romans chapter 6, verse 1. May it never be. Do you not know that you who have died to sin don't live in it anymore? Again, picture of baptism. Died. It's dead. What is this new self like? It's raised up. Second thing is, it's renewed and renewing. Look at verse 10. This new self, this new life, this new identity, this new country is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. The old is being replaced daily. It's a journey. It's a beginning. It's a start. Let me tell you what. Your language when you become a Christian does not change overnight. Mine didn't. I had to learn. I had to, to gently and encouragingly be brought along in a new way of thinking, a new way of talking. Jack didn't learn English in one day, right? And so we're moving along. We're renewed and renewing. It's a daily process. The call to obedience is because we've been saved and we're created anew, not because we're trying to get brownie points with God. Simply being a good moral person isn't enough, Right? It's like if you could say, okay, let's see, there's six in the first list and six in the second list. I'm going to just work really hard and have a good week and be moral enough for God to like me. Yeah, well, there's a whole other list. It's called the Ten Commandments that you've blown it on to. Right? And the point of all those things is not to earn it, it's to show you need a Savior. Amen? You need somebody who can pay the price for you because you're never going to be good enough. I look down at verses 12 and 13. That's, here's the standard. This is next week. Here's what this is going to result in for you. 
Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Verse 14, and above all these things, put on love, which is a perfect bond of peace. The standard here is not just to be good. The, 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 the standard here is to be loving. The standard here is to go beyond just not being immoral, not being evil, not slandering. Hey, I went a whole day I didn't slander anybody. Woohoo! I mean, you know, that's a good thing, right? But that's not the point. The point is to become loving. The point is to become like Jesus. All right. <clears throat> the third thing about this is that it's a rebuilding. Look at what happens in verse 11. When we're raised up, when we're renewed, when we're becoming more and more like Jesus, look what happens. As opposed to being divisive, as opposed to lying and being angry and malicious and hurting, here's what happens. Oh, this is awesome. Verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, uh, slave and freeman, and Christ is all in and all. See, what Jesus does when He begins to get a hold of our lives is He breaks down divisions, not makes them. Right? When I'm selfish, when I'm, when I'm looking at myself, when I just want more for me, that builds up walls so you won't take what I got. But when Jesus gets a hold of us, He starts breaking those walls down. Look at this. Between Jew and Greek. That's a religious division. Now, He's not saying all religions are one. He's saying in Christ it doesn't matter what your religious background is. We all come the same way. You came from a background of, of heathen paganism, great. Jesus comes. The, I heard Jimmy Carter say this. The, foot is, the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Right? It doesn't matter if you come from a goody-two-shoes preacher kid uh, uh, direction. It's still the cross. It doesn't matter if you're a good, moral, nice person, you vote the right way and keep your lawn the right way, you still come to Jesus through the foot of the cross. There's only one way. But it doesn't matter where you come from. It's open to everyone. Religious division broken. The second thing he says is circumcision and uncircumcision. That's cultural division. That was the mark between the the, the Jews and the non-Jews, right? We have these culture, these rules, these things we do. One of the things I've loved, I've had such a privilege to, to interact with many, many cultures around the world. And while they're beautiful and they're exciting and they're they're... Again, I think in some senses the thumbprint of God on each person, those things can divide us. Those things can break us down. Language barriers, cultural barriers, those kinds of things. That's not what God has in mind. He wants to bust those through. It's not about cultural division. Look at the next one, barbarian and Scythian. The word barbarian, uh, there's, a, there's an interesting background to that, but it basically means foreigner. And Scythians were, were Mongol nomads. I mean, they were the baddest of the bad. They were known for being brutal and savage. And he says, we're breaking down all of these barriers. Doesn't matter. Jew, Greek, all these things. And these are racial barriers. These are ethnic divisions. And he says, Jesus Christ came to break through those. Not put the walls up. Oh, you've heard it said many times, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most racially segregated time on the planet. Right? And our vision, listen, our vision is Revelation 7-9. It says, 
from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, people will be worshiping Jesus. Right? Well, gang, if we're going to be doing that in eternity, shouldn't we start doing it now? Shouldn't we start looking past language differences and skin color and, and culture and those kinds of, That's what this verse is about. It's about breaking those down. Intentionally working at stepping across those. Now I'm going to add one more from Galatians chapter uh, 3 verses 27 and 28 that Paul says elsewhere. He says, all of you who are baptized into Christ, close yourselves in Christ. Okay, one in Jesus, right? There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. Now we've got some gender divisions that we've looked at here. Where it says, in terms of coming to Christ, in terms of, of understanding who we are in Christ, we're one. One is not more important than the other. The Holy Spirit is not less important than uh, God the Son. God the Father is not more important than, than, uh, than either one of them. You see what I'm saying? That they work together. Now, are there differences? Amen. Viva la différence. But that doesn't mean that there should be division there. Look at this last one where he says, slave and free. That's an economic division. Some have more than others, that's right, but in Christ we're one. The church in Acts chapter 2, man, they were coming together as one. They were sharing with one another's needs. It was awesome. Alright, i got to wrap up here. We're supposed to be done. Um, I get excited about this and just get going. Alright, let me ask you this then. Alright, let me turn that slide off. Where are you living? Old man or new man? Old self or new self? What, what, where's your identity? Okay, eyes on heaven, right? Got our eyes up. Feet in the mud, feet in the dirt sometime. What's your identity? Old country, new country. Listen, you're going to be tempted with sin this week. And if you just put in your head, that's the uniform of that old country. And it's stinking, rotten, awful, dead, decaying stuff. That's my old uniform. That's my old country. When Paul says, keep your eyes up, he says, keep your eyes on the things above. These, these other ways of replacing this new identity. I want to encourage you in that. This week, that picture, old stuff. He says, pull those off. Alright? And, uh, oh man, next week, you don't want to miss next week. Because this is where he really starts to jet now. On what it's going to mean. What is going to transform us. What's life going to be like when Christ is at the center. Hey, join me in a word of prayer, alright? God, thank you so much for uh, hope, yeah, for encouragement, for knowing that we don't have to live like we have. And God, some of us here might be even trapped in some of these things and to know that we don't have to be, that you really have set us free. And uh, Lord, we just need to learn to live like it, to trust you when you said we're forgiven and free. And uh, Lord, to, to, uh, to celebrate that and uh, to cry out for help. And then by your grace, we'll begin to live like that and be more and more like Jesus every day. In his name we pray. Amen. And my wife and I are um, expecting our third child in a few months. And there's one thing I know about that birthing experience that, you know, in the first nine months or the nine months before birth, all they do is, is they make you fat, then they make you swell, then they make you do a lot of things you don't want to do to have the baby and it's a real painful experience and then the next two years of your life they do absolutely nothing to earn your respect or love and then there's the teenage years which is even worse sometimes but 
funny thing is they come out and we just love them because they are because they're there and they do nothing to earn it but yet it's it's just an amazing amount of love and that's God's love for us it's a very small glimpse of his love because we could never fathom the song talks about that unfailing love 